Okay, so page 748. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to, to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Clepus, Clepus, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do you not know the things that have happened, these in, happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Well, how do you react to a surprise? Do you have mixed feelings? I suppose it depends on the kind of surprise uh, that you're getting, doesn't it? 
what kind of surprise would it be? Well, as a teenager, I was uh, caught up with some mates uh, goofing around the neighbourhood around Halloween time. We had our tricky Halloween costumes on. It's a dumb thing to do, I know. I wouldn't necessarily get my kids doing it these days. Uh, and we were ready to trick or treat the block, hoping to get lots of good lollies and chocolates uh, and hoping that the neighbours would come good with them. That was the plan. But I can recall, even to this day, one poor old digger on Watonga Street, he came out and uh, he thought that we were giving him a surprise party, unfortunately. He comes out and he says, oh, what's, what's this all about? <laughs> had a nice happy smile on his face. But uh, soon his reaction changed. Uh, he realised that his surprise was that um, these kooky young teenagers wanted to celebrate, but with his chocolates. They didn't have any chocolates for him. Well, he didn't give us anything. So uh, we, we left that door and kept moving on to the next place. Anyway, kids moved on down uh, to my folks' house as well. And their same old mantra came out, trick or treat. And of course, Mum, there she is, there she is down the front too today. I've, I've had permission uh, for this one. Mum came to the, the door. She was all excited and gushing with praise as well. Oh, don't you all look wonderful in that gear, she said, searching uh, for me amongst the crew in my disguise. Well, just wait a second there and don't go, don't go yet. I'll, I'll just get a photo of you all, she said in her joy. She gets the camera ready and snaps a shot, takes a photo of the kid's in action, she's, she's thrilled to bits. And then uh, afterwards, the kids fill up with their trick-or-treat bags and move on to the next place. She was particularly generous. But what Mum doesn't realise is that my group wasn't the only group that was out there on the streets. And she shuts the door and then Dad says, uh, Gwenda, that wasn't them. <laughs> anyway, so when uh, the photo turns up, I'm looking through this packet of photos and say, Who's this? And I see this bunch of goofy teenagers. And uh, Mum says, oh, well, that, that was the group that I thought you were in. <laughs> anyway, so that was when I got a surprise. I'm thinking, who are these guys? Well, surprises come with mixed feelings at times, don't they? I think we got a bit of a surprise that day. But today the surprise is for the disciples, and they have mixed feelings as well. It's a bit of a, a puzzle to them, really, because Jesus isn't there when they go to see him. What can it mean for them? Well, the funny thing about this story in the Bible, though, is it wasn't actually meant to be a surprise because Jesus told them that he would be risen before it happened. The surprise begins, though, when the Spice Girls enter the tomb. Do you remember the Spice Girls? They, they had a few hits, if you can recognise these ones. Uh, if you want to be my lover, you know that one? Or... Stop right there. Thank you very much. Now, am I ringing any bells? I'm, I'm trying to blend with you here. The, the nine o'clockers didn't record them. Remember, there, was, uh, there was Sporty, Posh, Baby and Ginger. Well, that uh, soft rock and roll group was uh, actually a parody of the original Spice Girls, who we meet today in the Bible. This was the original crew. Uh, and they get to the, 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 the tomb on the first day of the week. And we know this is not a made-up story because they arrive with their spices. They're actually expecting Jesus to be dead. That's why they've turned up with their spices. They wouldn't have gone with their spices if they expected him to be raised. So we can tell uh, Luke's not making this story up. But they get there and the mood changes. It's a bit, it's a bit sad. They're, 
they've already had the grief that Jesus has died on the Good Friday and that's, that's come as a shock to them and a lot of bewilderment. Uh, but at this time they're puzzled because now his body is missing. And we're of course invited into the action as we see that there are two men gleaming like lightning and it's obvious that they're, it's good to have you Eddie, good to see you. Uh, it's good to see that these people aren't actually men, they're actually angels. So we'll pick it up in uh, the end of verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. In some ways this part of the Bible with the angel bring good news uh, to these, these women reminds us of how the gospel actually began. There was an angel talking to Zachariah about the name giving to John the Baptist Gabriel, the angel, meets Mary, and then there's a great company of angels that meet the shepherds. Well, the angels, again, in this part of the Bible, have good news. But there's, with a hint of I I told you so, kind of to it, in verse 6, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that he'd be crucified and raised on the third day, be raised again. And the women have one of those moments where it's, a, it's an aha moment. They kind of uh, remember, oh, that's right. Uh, in verse 8, they remembered Jesus' words. It's not as though Jesus didn't tell them. He, he had told them before. But it's hard for them, it was hard for them to grasp the idea that he'd suffer and then rise. But why? Why couldn't they appreciate the idea? Why was it hard for them to understand that Jesus would actually rise again? Why had he he told them so many times? Why didn't it sink in? Well, it seems their expectations are bound up with a glorification of Jesus that was too oriented to this world. It was too bound up with their idea that somehow he'd have, have a victory over their overlords who were dominating them in their land. And so they weren't thinking on the same level as Jesus. The very fact that their Messiah was killed by the the pagans uh, came as a shock to them because they thought he would lead them in victory over them. And so we see unbelief not only from the women, but we see it from the disciples too. In verse 11, they don't believe the women. He says, but they did not believe the women because their words seem like nonsense. Jesus did tell them, but their unbelief is also understandable at one level, isn't it? We know they didn't believe because they didn't expect anybody to rise from the dead. Dead people don't rise. That's something my father reminded me of was when he was a kid going out rabbit shooting. On an occasion, he had to race through a, a graveyard to go and collect the rabbits. And it was at night, and it's a bit spooky when you're a kid going after rabbits through a graveyard. But his father told him, don't worry, son, about the dead ones. It's the live ones you've got to worry about. And the point was that even if you fall down a grave shaft when you're after the bunnies, you don't need to panic because the dead ones aren't coming after you. And so at one level, we can connect with our unbelief, can't we? We know that the dead don't rise. But Peter is still puzzled about what the women have got to say. And in verse 12, we told Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. 
Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And in the next section we see that the, the disciples had the great expectations of Jesus. They expected that he was going to do something and Jesus does, but he doesn't do what they expect. And so we're given a great story by Luke that's filled with emotion as we meet up with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. One of them's Cleopas, and the other's not mentioned. It might be Cleopas's wife. It's hard to know. But they don't recognise Jesus, and they're very sad. Their faces are downcast. They're in a. They're still in shock, uh, having invested so much in Jesus and trusted in him. Now they're disillusioned with the fact that he's died and seems to have disappeared. And there's a picture of sorrow that comes over them. So they're in the. They're down the dumps. Jesus talks to them and asks. Ask them about the things that have happened. Verse 19, what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. The disciples had hoped that Jesus would uh, redeem Israel, rescue them, and perhaps even like God had rescued uh, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt years before. The Jews expected that they would have the upper hand once more over nations that had given them a hard time for so long. In Daniel chapter 7, uh, there's a prophecy where uh, beasts are pictured as subhuman. Uh, they represent the pagan nations. And there's a judgment scene where the Ancient of Days, which is a picture of God, opens the books and there's a, a law court situation where one like a son of man, uh, who's actually representing God's people, the saints of the Most High, he comes uh, to God and is vindicated and uh, is given dominion over these beasts. And Jesus, we know, refers to himself as the Son of Man. He's the one who does suffer at the hands of the, of the nations or the, the pagan rulers, these beasts, if you like. But we see in his resurrection that he's vindicated. He ascends to God. He is the faithful Israelite. He represents uh, the rest of Israelites in his faithfulness and he achieves victory on behalf of his people. But while the nation was probably thinking more in terms of a victory over the, the occupying forces who, who dominated their land, Jesus had a larger agenda. And his agenda, in fact, becomes bigger than Israel. It's a turning point for all of human history because the beast that he ends up overcoming, become the ones who are not just nations, but uh, sin and death are the ultimate enemies that he saves from. The enemies are sin and eternal death. And it comes as a, as a good thing for us and for the rest of the world that he does come to defeat those kinds of enemies. Because we're people who need to be sure that when we meet God, uh, our sin isn't between us and God. When we die, we don't have the terror of thinking about life 
beyond the grave. We're people who need assurance that our rebellion and prospects of eternal life have been dealt with. And that's because the Bible reminds us that everybody's going to meet God. Hebrews 9.27 says that man is destined to die once, there's no reincarnation, and after that to face judgment. Although at times in life we can feel uh, like we're, we're doing well and uh, we're living like we're not going to die, we do know that that kind of denial, that naivety about how we can live well isn't going to last. We can't avoid the topic of death. I'm intrigued now and again when I speak to elderly people uh, about how they get shocked when somebody even who's over 90 years of age, uh, when they die, they, they get shocked at this, this idea of death. But there's no, there's no surprises really, is there? We can't avoid the topic. We are going to die. That's just a reality. And the closer you get to 100, the the closer the reality is. So this shock seems out of place. But on the, on the other hand, uh, I can still empathise with those people who do get shocked at death as well. I get shocked when I know somebody who's died. I get shocked even when there's a, a news presenter who's died. Do you remember these names? Andrew Ollie. Does anybody put your hand up if you heard of Andrew Ollie? Okay, good, there's a few people. Paul Lynham. You can put your hands down there. <laughs> it's not an auction. Richard Carlton, Stan Zamanik, and most recently Peter Harvey. I'm shocked every time somebody presents the news isn't going to do it anymore. They've died. But sooner or later, that's going to be me and it's going to be you. As somebody, uh, John Charles Ryle put it, you know, a few more weddings, a few more funerals, and then the grass will be growing over our own graves. We can't be naive about death. We'll face it. But that's where the resurrection of Jesus benefits us. Jesus makes a difference for us with his resurrection. In his resurrection, he's actually pushing through death. He's dealt with sin and he's pushed through death to give us life beyond the grave. So sin... And the judgment upon sin and the reality of death don't hold terror for those who trust in Christ, his death and his resurrection. Jesus spoke to the, apostles, uh, the disciples and he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Before Jesus died, he suffered. Sorry, before Jesus was glorified, rather, on the other side, he did suffer. But his resurrection from the dead shows us that he's been uh, approved of by God. He's been vindicated. His sacrifice was accepted. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was a suffering servant who takes away sin and vindicated by God in his resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, Peter says, the fact that he didn't stay in the grave shows he was the Messiah. Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And in Romans chapter 1, we're told that by the Spirit of God, he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead shows that Jesus was, in fact, God's King, God's Messiah. He's the one who triumphed not only 
in a different kind of way over the, the Roman overlords. He triumphed over the, the great enemy's sin and death. Well, the disciples had great expectations of Jesus, but he fulfills their expectations in a different kind of way. And the mood now has changed. The tone has changed to be one where they're much more joyful. They're delighted that they've met, met the risen Lord Jesus. And he's shown them from the Bible the things that were spoken about him. And those promises, uh, it's good news for us, those promises that are in the Old Testament that refer to Jesus they are written down for us to benefit from as well. If you're reading on with me, we'll pick it up at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Well, do you remember the first meal that was had in the Bible that's been recorded? It was a sad occasion. It was the meal where Adam and Eve took uh, the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're told after they did so, then the eyes of, eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked. Well, in today's passage, Jesus shares a meal, the first of a new age, it seems, and we read that then their eyes were opened and they recognised Jesus. In the first meal, Adam and Eve had their eyes opened to the realisation of the sin that they'd, they'd committed and the disaster called death that was going to follow. But in the second meal, the eyes of the disciples are opened and they have an ability to see Jesus who saves. They're open not to the dreadful news of God's judgment upon their sin, but to the message of salvation, particularly that he had to suffer first and bear their sin before uh, being glorified, being raised up with a transformed body. It was a different kind of body. It was a physical body, but it was one that's still a special kind of new body that uh, is physical but transformed. Jesus could walk uh, between walls. He could disappear as he's speaking to them. But in this transformed body, Jesus is glorified as king over all. And the disciples pondered what Jesus had said to him. In verse 32, if you're reading on, I'll pick it up from there. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Well, in Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, uh, it seems that we start to see some of what maybe Jesus referred to when he was talking about uh, the scriptures that had referred to him. In Psalm 16, David refers to the fact that God will not abandon his Messiah to the grave. God's Messiah is not going to remain rotting somewhere in a grave. But the Apostle Peter, presumably having listened to Jesus after the resurrection, he attributes the fulfilment of that book of the Bible, Psalm 16, to Jesus. This is what he said. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 2. Seeing what was ahead, David spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Peter sees that the prophecies were, that were spoken about in the past actually find their fulfilment in Jesus. 
And Peter continues to follow up on prophecies that were in the book of Joel by speaking about how the one who pours out the Holy Spirit onto all kinds of people, who changes their hearts so that they might see the futility of their life lived in rebellion of God and and need to put their trust in the Saviour and know his forgiveness of sins, that's the work of Jesus. He's the one who pours out the Holy Spirit into our lives and applies the work of Christ to us that we might enjoy salvation. Jesus opened the scriptures to these people at the time so that they could have a solid assurance of their faith. Uh, But we also benefit because we've got the very scriptures as well and we can read them and have a solid assurance of our faith that we're right with God as we trust in Jesus as well. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a living hope. That's something that Scott prayed in his prayer in thanks to God, that we have a living hope. And so we don't need to uh, be naive about our mortality. We can think that death is not necessarily a taboo topic. We can face it. But as we do, we need the assurance of what the Bible teaches us about the resurrection. The kind of resurrected body that Jesus has is, is a prototype Uh, but it's the kind that we'll also have. Paul compares the change in the body that we'll have at the end as with a seed compared to a plant. And that's what we're looking forward to. The message for us today is through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, there is a hope in the face of death. And we're given a future that's beyond the grave. Well, I'm going to conclude this sermon with a quote that I read from the Sydney Morning Herald that just stitches together um, Good Friday and the reality of the hope of Resurrection Sunday. During this week, uh, somebody wrote in and asked a question about Good Friday. They said, why in heaven's name is Good Friday so named when it so obviously was not? Why in heaven's name is Good Friday so named when so obviously when it so obviously was not. Well, I don't know what you'd write back, and I haven't written an answer yet, but I think this would be something of an answer that would be according to what the Bible teaches, is that the answer is because the results of Good Friday are good ones. They're good ones for us. It's good that Jesus bore our sin, that we don't have to bear it. We don't have to bear the wrath of God. He took it in our place. That's, I can't, that is a good thing. And secondly, it's good because not so much the destruction of the Son of God at that time, but because of what comes next. It's, because, it's good because of what comes after, which is Resurrection Sunday. It's not the end of the story. And so as we celebrate today and we go home to enjoy chocolate Easter eggs and, and a bit of time off from a busy schedule, let's be clear, Good Friday was good, because of what comes next, which is Resurrection Sunday, the one in which we have a a new hope into the future as we face life with God because of the resurrection uh, resurrection of Jesus from the dead on our behalf. Let us be people who rejoice not simply in chocolate Easter eggs and good things like that. Let's rejoice in the fact that we have a hope. Uh, A hope of eternity with raised bodies like Christ that he will raise us as well. Well, let us pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks uh, for Jesus, that you did raise him from the dead, that he was vindicated as your Messiah, 
that you he provided an acceptable sacrifice for our sins that was sufficient to uh, cleanse us, wash away our sin and bring your forgiveness. Lord God, we give you thanks that uh, the risen Lord Jesus has poured out your spirit into the world and changes our hearts uh, that we might be people who enjoy salvation with you as we, we trust in him. We thank you that that's, that's your good work from first to last. And Lord God, we do give you thanks that uh, because Jesus is risen, he promises to raise up uh, your people at the end of the age as well. And we do give you thanks for a hope of eternity beyond the grave, not only being spared from your judgment, but as we look forward to life with you everlastingly in new resurrected bodies in the same way that a seed changes into a plant. We thank you for that great hope and we thank you for this good passage this morning which reminds us of these wonderful things. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.